to No Truck Stops, a Pac-12 podcast. I'm Carlos. Joining me, fellow basketball boy, Greg, at Banana Morse. Um, I'm devastated. <laughs> uh, football boy, Reed, at MF underscore Reed. Hip, no, toad, indeed. And, uh, and uh, very here, very alert, very aware, Avery, at Brave Grapes. I'm so present. <laughs> we'll see how long we can get through this. We are recording with some folks alive here. It's great to have some people here joining us. Feel free to drop in your questions or if you've got questions for us generally at No Truck Stops Pod on Twitter. You can always send those in. Uh, we're here to recap the first round of the NCAA tournament, specifically for the Pac-12. We will get uh, our homie Bryce on here at some point, but for now... We're just going to recap everything that's happened in the first round. We just finished up an electric Arizona State TCU game. So why don't we just jump right into it? No niceties here. We can just start. Uh, Arizona State falls to TCU 72-70 to 70 off of a last-second layup from TCU. About 1.5 seconds or something uh, left on the clock. Uh, for ASU to do something, had to jack it up. No ASU magic this time, unfortunately. And ASU takes an exit. They did, though. They did beat uh, Nevada. Beat the shit out of Nevada to even get here. So uh, some credit there is deserved. Let's uh, let's start with Greg here, uh, since we got some folks who may need some moments to collect themselves. Greg, what did you think of this game? I thought that this game was such a perfect microcosm of what ASU season was this year. <laughs> you know, yes. you had yes. so much that was just fucking awesome. Way cool. Bunch of great players putting on great displays. And then you also had what happens when your coach is Bobby Hurley. And <laughs> what happens when you don't have an offense and your only offense is just fuck it, we ball. Um, ASU got cold and they were not generating easy shots because that's not what they do. And of course, TCU was going to catch up, like come back, uh, when, when that's the, when that's the style of, uh, basketball you play. And of course that came back to bite them just like it has so many times this season for ASU. And I really think this is just what happens when Bobby Hurley's your coach. Which you just got to accept it. You have to accept it at that you point. You have to accept it. However, you don't have to accept Bobby Hurley as your coach. That's the choice. Um, <laughs> I don't know. So. I'm uh, Given what Arizona State is, I, I have thoughts about this. But uh, Avery, do you have you have thoughts about this game? Did you get to watch it? <laughs> yeah. I did. Well, I watched it as much as like someone that's very drunk. It's St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> and I, <laughs> are, you, uh, are you Irish grapes? I'm not, but I do like alcohol, so I can get on board with that. Um, I just, like, have the image in my mind of Devin Cambridge just, like, fucking throwing it at the backboard with two hands. Like, what the... There are some bad shots. I feel like they make everything, and then all of a sudden they're just, like, throwing whatever. They're just doing whatever they want. They're playing, like, a pickup basketball team out there. That they, is... I don't know. I don't know what Bobby Hurley does coaching wise other than make them run lines during the game. (laughs) I don't see. I don't know what impact he has. Uh, I mean, recruiting, that's 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 the big one. He basically is like, I'm going to get a bunch of dudes who can uh, 
who can hoop, and I'm going to let them cook, basically. Reed, uh, as someone who was watching Arizona State for the first or second time this season, (laughs) (laughs) did you enjoy this game? (laughs) I was devastated. I mean, listeners will certainly remember that I planted my flag with Arizona State. Yeah, you were the highest on Arizona State. They were my team. uh, And, yeah, I mean, it was kind of weird because, you know, I felt like – from what the little I knew, uh, you know, the content binge I'd done pre-tournament, I was expecting a collapse, and they kind of did that mid-second half, and then they built it back up, and I was like, "Oh shit, okay, they rebounded. They rebounded from this. Like, they actually are going to be able to finish this game off, maybe." And then it just fell apart. Yeah, it was. Uh, the first twenty-five minutes of this game was so fucking fun. That was maybe the most fun I've had so far watching this tournament. Just like it was the same. I mean, nothing changed about the offense. It's just that uh, they revert. They reverted back to the mean. You were not going to expect this. Is what happens with Arizona State is they get on these stretches where they're just doing that thing where they're taking contested jumpers and drilling them, and they get them, and then so and then that almost always. They revert back to the mean and go really, really cold. Uh, they do not take good shots ever. This team never takes one fucking good shot on any single <laughs> possession. There's always one bad shot involved. A good shot always comes off an offensive rebound and like a putback. That's their version of a good shot. Um, and the first 25 minutes, it was working. <laughs> uh, you had uh, DJ Horn was drilling some stuff. Uh, Frankie Collins, not exactly drilling jumpers, but he was attacking. He was really aggressive. He was cooking straight from the top of the key and decided to attack, get the paint uh, early on in this game. He he had some really, really nice moments here. He had that absurd poster dunk on a TCU player that is maybe going to be the dunk of the tournament when it's all said and done. Absolutely absurd uh, uh, dunk from him. Um, you had Warren Washington had a really good offensive game uh, in that first 25 minutes or so. You had Devin Cambridge getting a breakout layup and him having having that reverse pump dunk uh, in the in the open space. Uh, you had some really great ASU moments here, but you had some really bad ones. You had that, uh, I think the one that sticks out of my mind is uh, Desmond Cambridge gets a shot uh, sort of at the top of the key, jacks it up, gets an offensive rebound, Go attempts the same shot from the same place and gets another brick. That was a really, really bad possession, but that was a lot of ASU's possessions and it bit them in the ass yet again. Uh, yet again, they fall in the same way that we've seen them fall over and over again. But I don't know. I mean, let's talk about ASU season. They did get to the NCAA tournament. They did get a win. They got an impressive win against Nevada. They got some really nice highlights in this first game. They gave us a really fun game, if a little bit stupid. Um, I don't know. What did you think? What did you think of their season? You feel like this is a success? We can start with Avery. Avery, you think this is a resounding success? I'll tell you why I think it's a success. I think you put it perfectly that Bobby Hurley just gets his guys and like lets them cook. But it's like letting a bunch of amateur chefs that like kind of know how to use kitchen tools cook without a recipe book. Like he just throws them in there and he's (laughs) like, yeah, go crazy. And I'm impressed that it worked at all. Quite frankly, they had no instruction. They were just balling out there. Um, I still think Bobby Hurley should be fired because I don't think any of their success had anything to do with him other than, um, recruiting which i guess is enough for some people i don't think it's enough okay to stay a head coach at a power five team 
Okay, Power fair six. enough. Greg? Um, so, I, I, I guess this is a, a success because they made the tournament. Good on them. That was, I think, a good season because of that. But I'm, I also think Bobby Early's got to go. Um, really? In the first half of this game, in the first half of this game, I was workshopping some real hot takes that, you know, ASU was uh, Mick Cronin away from being 2021 UCLA. Uh, obviously, that's an over-exaggeration, but I really do think they've proven you can get guys in it at ASU. You can get great players at ASU. It, it hurts to have a coach this bad. They can do better. They can absolutely do better. It's hard to do worse. Uh, the next guy might not recruit as well, but you will make up more than that difference in I don't know. just a competent offense. We said that about Utah. <laughs> no, well, I think it's different at Utah. I guess maybe it's not that different, but Utah wasn't making the tournament either. I don't know. Here's the thing. Is I, I, ASU is not the kind of school that can expect to get to the NCAA tournament They leveled regularly. up. Did, did they? I mean, even that, even now, it feels like they've never had this level of talent ever at Arizona State. I don't think. I mean, at least as long as I've been watching and pay attention to Arizona State, they have not had this level of talent. They have now. Bobby Hurley now owns three of their NCAA tournament uh, appearances. I think that's tied for the most in school history. Yeah, it's tied for. Well, he's second behind uh, a, a dude named Ned Wolk from who coached up until like 1982. In in the whack, basically. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know that this is like fully. Uh, I, I guess I'm just like they get to the NCAA tournament, they win a game, and then they had they they're competitive against a TCU team that everyone picked to win this game because they were a Big Twelve team and Big Twelve teams you got to inflate the Big Twelve. Have you considered That's- that Bobby Hurley's just annoying? <laughs> and we shouldn't have to deal with it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we just got a guest here, a guest that we started without. Didn't let Bryce know that, but we're midstream here. Bryce Hendricks. Hendricks? <laughs> I get your at confused with your name now. <laughs> Bryce Hendricks, who's at Bry- Bryce Hendrick 14 at Kook Center, at many, many other things. Bryce, uh, we were just talking about the Arizona State, you know, their season and the fact that they got here. We were trying to figure out, is this a successful season? Would you say it was successful? You're muted. Oh, do we have to unmute you? <laughs> uh, okay, I'll, I'll figure that out. But Great job. <laughs> really? Well as, as I'm doing that, as I'm doing that, since none of you, none of you were able to do that, Reed, what do you... Let's ask Reed. Reed, what are your thoughts about ASU season? Is this uh, what you'd expect from them while they figure this out? I think, I mean, this is kind (laughs) of like, going back to that preview episode, sort of what I maybe had envisioned. I mean, I thought that they would, I think I said they'd lose the Pac-12 title game. So they didn't quite get there, but I think they beat Arizona. They lasted longer technically than Arizona in the tournament. So that's got to be worth something. Um, and then just the fact, I don't know, like you said, like just going through their list of seasons, they haven't made the second round since 2009. So that's like, you know, this is, this has been their ceiling pretty much for a while. Uh, now whether you can argue like they can move past that going forward, uh, you know, I probably wouldn't be the one qualified to make that argument, but based on the history, I feel like this is, 
you know, pushing up against their ceiling. Yeah, I, I don't know. I feel like uh, as I'm still trying to get Bryce on, Bryce, you may have to jump off and come back on. Um, and I, I don't know. I guess I'm just I, I don't I don't really sort of expect uh, ASU to do a whole lot. I, I, it feels to me like this is it's not the, I don't think it's a ceiling by any means, but Bobby Hurley is a I, I don't know. I, I just feel like he's getting talent that he's never gotten there. Bryce, feel, settle this. I feel oh, go like ahead. They, go ahead Graves, I feel like they looked into this position. Is that just me? I, it doesn't feel like they should be here. Okay. It feels like it was just really fucking lucky. It, it sort of does feel that with ASU sometimes. All right, Bryce is finally here. We have we figured out some of our issues. Bryce, what do you think? Who's right? Do you feel like uh, this is a good season for ASU? you feel like Bobby Hurley's done a good job? Do you feel like they should, maybe not now, but they're going to have to in the future get rid of Bobby Hurley? Like, What are your thoughts on that? I think Hurley is definitely it's like a you know to your taste as a coach right like he is a very good recruiter I think I think he does a great job getting talent I think the team this year was very talented the Cambridge brothers were great transfer portal grabs um, even like identifying someone like a like a DJ Horn like he did in the past like that was not someone who was necessarily viewed as someone who could really play the types of minutes at this level that he has and I think Hurley or his staff whoever it is is great at that. The issue with Hurley is that <laughs> his offense is like it's so I, I it's not even that it's non-existent. It's also that it's it's specifically limiting for the talent he has too. It's he, they run like this very classic chin offense. They're constantly trying to pop their big out above the perimeter and get them into dribble handoff stuff. And even like so like the last play of this uh, the, of the game that was really a set play, right? Where um I guess second to last. The last play, DJ Horn hit that three off of completely nothing set. But the play before that, if they would have just run a spread pick and roll with Warren Washington and Frankie Collins, they would have got a bucket or at the very least a very good look. But instead, they set up this weird north action where instead of just spacing all the way out, they keep uh, Devin Cambridge at the block and have Warren Washington try and set an up screen. And so the lane is just super congested for no reason. If it had just been spread and spaced out, they would have got a bucket. I, it, it was so fr- it was so frustrating for me as someone who's you know Pac-12 fan. I was rooting for yeah. for ASU in this game, and I I was really I really thought they had it. And uh, to just see like such a dumb coaching error, like just a super. If he just had anyone on his staff who who could tell him like, hey, maybe just give the ball to Frankie Collins and give him some space, and it'll work out. He just he, I don't know if he overthinks things or what, but I don't think this team can get can get much better than what they were this year. I think this might be the ceiling because this team was super talented. They had pretty solid chemistry. You know, they they had their issues, but defensively they were very good. Warren Washington is a really truly excellent defensive player. Gets very underrated in that aspect. Um, and they still barely snuck into the tournament and then lost to a a pretty, I mean, a TCU team who was missing their starting big and who has very notable, um, not hard to find locker room chemistry issues, right? Like, uh, uh, I know you guys, someone mentioned that, um, like, people pick TCU, and, and a lot of people might have, but, you know, I, I think Arizona might have been smart money. Arizona State might have still been start, smart money here because... You know, Eddie Lampkin was out and 
there's this tension between uh, TCU's coach and, and their players right now. So it's just it, it was a really disappointing game, and it was a reminder of not only is Bobby Hurley a like disappointing coach in some ways, but also he actively does things that hurt the team. It's not just that he doesn't run a system. It's that he runs a system that hurts the talent he has, even though he is legitimately very good at acquiring that talent. Yeah. Bobby Hurley has a hat on the sideline full of dumb coaching ideas. And every time somebody looks to him for advice, he pulls a little paper out of the hat and they have to do it. It feels like that sometimes. It's like, uh, and to Bryce's point, I mean, it's like, I was, I was like watching uh, that last play uh, where I think DJ Horn did hit that ridiculous three. And before you just knew, you were like, this is, he's got an out of timeout play. It's going to be a really garbage play. It's going to be the worst out of time timeout basketball play you ever saw. And that's kind of what happened. He just got lucky that DJ Horn, I mean, this is, uh, that's like all of ASU's offense. Now I don't, you know, obviously we're not grinding tape like Bryce does, but uh, in, you know, I think in my view and in our view, it's like, he's, he's just going to rely on these dudes to shoot them into a win. Uh, and that, as a result, ASU's the quality of their shots, 90% of them, they feel like they're contested jumpers that they really should not be taking. Um, and in the second half, they went cold, but also there was a good stretch there. I think they lost this game in that four-minute stretch, three-minute stretch where Frankie Collins got sent to the bench, um, and he needed to be in there. Uh, and they and they didn't know what they were doing, right? They were just passing around the perimeter, hoping that they might find something or something might emerge and or someone was going to have to take a desperation shot at the end of the shot clock. So... It was a a tough game for Arizona State, a tough season, a uh, tough way to end their season considering, I don't know, they had some moments. Uh, any other thoughts about ASU? I really, really am interested to see what this team looks like next year. Like, just to see... You know who's coming back? We have a good I, sense No, there. that's the question, is I just don't know who's coming back. I'm pretty sure that Desmond Cambridge has a year left if he wants it, Uh I think Frankie Collins can come back. I don't know where Warren Washington is at, but it should be a really interesting offseason for them. In terms it looks of, like Desmond Cambridge is, is gone. I think he's out of eligibility. Oh, is it right. Devin that yeah, has the eligibility left? Devin Cambridge has eligibility. Okay. Um, it's very confusing. <laughs> Frankie <laughs> Collins can come back, I guess. I don't know. I don't know if he wants to. Warren Washington, I think, has another year of eligibility. Jemiah Neal, I'm really curious to see what he looks like. He looks like a player if they can figure out what to do with him. Uh, but again, it, a lot of his production has come off of off the dribble <laughs> fadeaway threes, like most of their uh, most of their production. So I don't know. I'm I'm really curious to see what they do. Uh, Alonzo Gaffney, I think, might be out of eligibility here. Uh, I don't know. He's uh, I'm not sure. Is he's he spent two years? I don't know. He's he, he's a senior per sports oh. reference, but. Um, I see he's only played three years. One of those years was, uh, that wasn't the COVID year. I don't know. Not sure. So he may, he may, Alonzo Gaffney may, and he was, you know, he's had some moments here as a backup big. Um, it's not, it's not bad. So you're right. I think they are going to get a good chunk of this team back. That will bring back some production. Assuming these guys don't all flock and leave. Um, I assume Bobby Hurley will still be employed because I don't think ASU is the caliber of program that you have to be at to fire a coach after a tournament. Appearance. No, they absolutely oh, can't yeah, fire him. Yeah. They, they're not going to fire him. They're not going to fire him. I just but think there that is the program... such thing as wishful thinking. 
Yeah, the program, I think, would be better off if they did. Yeah. Mm. All right, well, let's move on to talk about some other games and uh, (laughs) talk about the rest of the Pac-12. USC loses to Michigan State 72-62. to That game was a snooze fest. I don't know. Mm -hmm. That's what I thought. Um, In in the end, USC never really got that close. Uh, Didn't get a lot of production from its two best players and Boogie Ellis and Drew Peterson, although Drew Peterson, I'm not sure I'd consider them one of their best players at this point. Uh, I, before the four of us, truck, no truck stops hosts, get to talk. Bryce, uh, were you shocked by this particular result? What can you tell us about how did you get to watch this game? Number one, and then uh, what can you tell us about USC? Is this I don't know. Were you surprised by how they went out? Um, I wouldn't say surprised. I did pick USC in this game, but I I kind of thought it was a toss up, and uh, I I guess part of me picking USC was that I assumed. Enfield would be able to make the slightest adjustment, and he just couldn't. He just could not. They would not <laughs> stop hard hedging Josh Morgan, and it was driving me absolutely crazy. Michigan State just got whatever they wanted against hard hedge, and it it what specifically drives me nuts about it is they constantly recruit bigs who would be like perfect drop centers who could absolutely execute a drop scheme and protect the rim. And then they just don't do it. They just won't use those guys the way they obviously should be used. Even like Vince Uchukwu, like when he plays, they hard hedge him. You know, Johnny Wright, okay, you can hard hedge, hard hedge him a little bit. He's kind of a smaller, quicker, big, whatever. But like someone like a Josh Morgan, someone like a Vince Uchukwu, absolutely should be in drop, especially when a team is completely abusing your fairly weak hard hedge with just quick passing or, you know, the pull up shooting. Um, I think. You know, we talked about uh, um, Hurley as someone who should probably be fired. I think Enfield is also, like, right there. I mean, for two straight years to be as... I mean, it's USC. Like, USC has no reason to be as consistently bad as they are. Now, he won't get fired this year because they have Isaiah Collier coming in, who is legitimately a very good uh, uh, prospect. And I would also guess Bronny is going to be at USC as well. Um, for whatever that's worth, that would be my <laughs> those two coming in. Keep Trey White, who is Trey White is very good. It'd be really nice if he could dribble more than one time and get a shot <laughs> off. But you know, just one dribble pull ups are nice too. Um, you know, probably losing both Boogie and Drew Peterson. I would think Drew Peterson's definitely done. Uh, Boogie, Boogie said he's done. Yeah, he's yeah. like he'll, he'll be a pro. He's not an NBA guy, but he'll be a pro. And might as well go get that money. But, you know, especially you're bringing in Collier to replace him. Collier is probably going to be better day one than Boogie was this year, you know, because he's just when you're the number one player in a class as a point guard, that just tends to be how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think Enfield really blew this one. I thought the I put the loss more squarely on his shoulders than I really expected to. I mean, Drew Peterson was frustrating, too. Um, and I get that, like. You know, they're another team that runs like an old school chin offense, but it's not even the offense that bothered me in this one. It was just the the complete lack of defensive adjustments, the inability to um, change what he was doing, the stubbornness. It all just drove me crazy. And this was a game I think USC could have won. I don't think Michigan State was absurdly hot or anything. Their defense is paper thin sometimes, but it's just it doesn't matter when they can get whatever they want on your base look. That. uh you mentioned this frustration with how USC defends with their bigs pretty early in the game in in the in the Pac-12 group chat we're in, and 
my God, once you said it, I couldn't unsee it. It just kept being a problem, especially you, you noticed it, especially when Josh Morgan wasn't up on the perimeter defending and he actually did get to defend on the interior and he made some incredible plays and it was just like oh yeah this is very clearly what this player should be doing to maximize his talent and the USC defense as a whole so it hurt so much more to watch as the same thing kept happening he'd come up for the screen Michigan State would get around it easy like easy shot for them rinse and repeat over and over again and like you said, no adjustments from Andy Enfield. Uh, it was just hard to watch, Carlos. I think a snooze fest is the perfect way to describe this game. <laughs> I was very happy to be able to turn it off. Bogey uh, yeah. Ellis was not good, which was unfortunate. Although I, d- I will say, I do think in the first half, despite the fact that he was like one for seven in that half, I thought he made some great plays. Like he had some great passes. And defensively, he made a few nice plays, which I appreciated. But the shooting never came around, and I feel like his decision-making kind of got worse as the game got on. And that was, along with the lack of any desire to change defensively, uh, I think that really was a big part of why they uh, fell away from Michigan State in the second half. Yeah, I mean, I I think, uh, again, I think we have to highlight the defensive adjustments there. Like, that cannot be understated how Joshua Morgan, like, as a play, like, what he's done this year has been a really, really good interior defender. I think he's, like, well, I think he leads the Pac-12 in block rate or something. I'm pretty sure by a good margin. He was, for for a good chunk of the year before his first injury, was maybe a dark horse for defensive player of the year with the way that he was playing interior defense. Um and to Bryce's point and Greg's point, the fact that they've got them all the way over there, all the way, like, way, way, way sometimes past the three-point line and having to um, get on the perimeter and, and then having to run back a horrible use of Joshua Morgan. And also makes me think, like, they probably missed Vincent Iwachuku a lot. This team does look different. It feels like USC just looks different on both sides of the ball with Vince Iwachuku in. So, yeah. I uh and and then on top of that, I think Andy Enfield deserves some blame for Drew Peterson's horrific performance. This not just this game, but really this year, he's been he has not been good. I'm shocked that he got Pac-12 uh, first team recognition. Uh, he has not been good, and he has regressed significantly. Now a lot of that maybe has to do with some of this back injury stuff that he's dealing with. Uh, but I think he was even struggling before then, um, and uh, he. Uh, that's just like a major regression that I think falls on Andy Enfield as a player developer, as someone who sort of develops talent and tries to get guys better from year to year. Uh, Boogie Ellis got better from year to year, so that's cool. Kobe Johnson got really good uh, year over year. Uh, Trey White, I don't know if you can really claim Andy, if any Enfield can claim that as some of his development work, but he has gotten much better. Reese Dixon Waters has looked a little bit better, so you have some improvement year over year, but... I don't know how much of that you can attribute to Andy Enfield. So, Grapes, did you get to watch this game? What did you think? I didn't get to watch this game. I was buying a couch, and I'm glad I was buying a couch because it seemed boring. (laughs) But I have a fun fact to share. Okay. Um, Did you know that Andy Enfield holds the all-time NCAA record for free throw shooting percentage? Wow, that's, you know, that fact is... They call him the shot doctor. Yeah, uh, that fact gets repeated nearly as much as <laughs> Kylan Boswell being 17 years old. 
every fucking broadcast they have to bring it up. I know. <laughs> I, know. I know. I see it tweeted like 15 times a fucking day. Yeah, and USC's not, not even during basketball season. Either. Um, no, they're not. I think they think they've been better this. I think they've been a little bit better this year, but um, I don't know that it's by much. Uh, Reed, I, I don't know why. Did you get to watch this game? I'm assuming you didn't. No, I did. I, I'm locked oh, okay. in. Okay, I'm all right. I'm locked in on the tourney. Uh, <laughs> you know, honestly, my thing with this game was just like, I was, you know, I'm just kind of checking into the state of Pac-12 basketball. Like, I care. I, I, I'm not invested in terms of hours watched, but in terms of Pac-12 pride, I'm up there. Yeah. You know, so I was just disappointed in the state <laughs> of the conference. Like, after the Arizona loss yesterday, and then we go into this, and and it just felt like the teams were falling. Um, and then, like, you know, of course I come from a bit of a football perspective, but I just feel like in any sport, shouldn't USC be more talented? Like, you're still in L.A., you know, albeit UCLA obviously is a, a more prominent recruiting threat in basketball. Um, but I was just like, you know, where's the talent? Where are the dudes on this team? Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't get it. My, my other question, too, is, like, in college basketball – is is it just the strategy to just like we just poach any low level coach who has like a little tournament moment? Like that's just what you do at a big program is you just take <laughs> Andy Enfield just because like Florida Gulf Coast made a run one year, or is there that's is a there question another for Bryce. way to hire Bryce? What 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 would you say? You know, maybe a, a, a we know Cal uh, they have their coaching search started. I think they might be the only one. Is that right? Washington kept theirs. I think that's yeah, right. Yes, I, yeah, I think that was the only one, sadly. I thought Horrible. you meant the whole country. I was like... <laughs> Cal's the only <laughs> job opening in the whole country. No, in the Pac-12, which is absurd because, buddy, the Pac-12 does not have great coaches and is one of the reasons why I think they're weaker as a basketball conference right now. But, Bryce, that's a question for you. You know, college basketball-wide, like, coaching pipelines, like, where should programs, like a Cal and maybe in the future, like a Washington or even in the distant future, a USC, like where do you think they should get their coaches from? Uh, is that a pipeline? Like Princeton. you just find those dudes who <laughs> you just find dudes <laughs> that have got tournament runs or is there like something, something different that folks should be doing? I think well, there's definitely some, you know, ADs who are just into like, like the flash, right? Like I think, you know, I think back to WSU, like hiring Ernie Kent, and that was all just Bill mm. doesn't know shit about uh, basketball. So he's like, uh, I guess this guy <laughs> who took, you know, who recruited Luke Ridenour at Oregon, that, he's perfect. He'll, you know, and I, I think it tends to be uh, the best coaching hires usually are people who have built sustain, su- sustained, excuse me, success at lower levels. So, you know, like I think of a guy like Danny Sprinkle at Montana State would be a great hire for like a Pac-12 team like Cal. He's someone who two years in a row now has built one of the best defenses in the country, um, has really taught players who are very raw how to make good high-level defensive rotations. The question with someone like a sprinkle is recruiting pathways and all that. I think that's why, like, you know, when WSU made the choice to hire Kyle Smith, a, a lot of that was he's proven that he can be very creative as a recruiter. That was a lot of that. It was more uh, recruiting creativity and he didn't necessarily have like the tournament runs, but he had built a continual, you know, WCC contender out of San Francisco, which wasn't really a thing for a long time until he came. And then Golden, of course, actually got them to the tournament and got the job at Florida. 
Um, you know, so it, it kind of it depends on your organizational priorities. I think a team like Cal this year specifically is going to go for someone who they feel a little safer with, someone who they think has done at least a little something at the high major level. Uh, you know, a name that comes up a lot is San Jose State's Tim Miller. I think that would be a bad hire personally, but I, mm. I at least see the logic. He's someone who's done it at the high major level. Wasn't an embarrassment. Like, I think you're at a point where they're just like, don't be embarrassed. Mark Fox was embarrassing. It can't be at that level. We have to get a step above that. Um, but I think, you know, higher upside hires tend to be guys who have built that level of sustained, sustained success. Like, you know, I, I know we have um, our grievances with Gerard Haas, but I think that was a, a sound hire in terms of what he had built at UAB, what um, he brought, like in the, um, you know, he's, he's a fine recruiter. He has his issues and, um, but there, there was like a soundness to that hire in terms of the right mix of there's some upside there. Uh, he can recruit. He can learn things. It's 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 weird because college basketball is so much less of a monolith than football. I feel like with football, it's because every team that's their main you know money generator. Usually, there's so much focus on that. Versus basketball, it's kind of more spread out. Um, I think someone like mm-hmm. Enfield at USC was a bit of a flashy hire and i think we've seen him struggle to build sustained success because it was more flashy he was someone who didn't really have recruiting inroads and it's took him a long time to build that and now that he has recruiting inroads that's great they're super talented he's a great recruiter but their offense is so old it's very it's a, just a very outdated offense and their defense is also kind of outdated in a lot of ways it's a that hard hedge is just not something that works when you don't when you're when you're spread out that far like like teams usually can that's the issue with like michigan state right is if you're going to tag really hard on a hard hedge if you're going to get into the lane to try and take away a roll you leave the corner wide open that's a 40 percent shot for most guys anymore and it's just not the the type of offense that works any, or defense that works anymore excuse me so i'm interested to see how that goes for them next year they're going to be stupid talented like they should probably be the favorite to win the pac-12 next year in all honesty especially if Hawkins mm. and campbell are gone because Collier, White, Johnson, Uchukwu, that's a pretty insane four to build around. Like, basically anyone around that. Just get someone who can shoot the ball, and you're, you know, you're absolutely golden. Um, but I, I don't trust Enfield to be a guy who can get them to that next level when, you know, being a coach who makes adjustments really matters. Yeah, uh, and this is, uh, you know, I think that's sort of how we assess Andy Enfield is he is a great accumulator of talent, and they have a lot of talent. In some ways, they have more talent than UCLA does. They have probably more talent than a lot of teams do in the Pac-12. So anyway, so that's that's USC. Uh, by no means are they firing Andy Enfield. By no means is he on any, is his seat even a little bit warm? But um, they haven't won. Uh, they went back-to-back NCAA tournaments without a win. Again, going to the NCAA tournament, something we probably take for granted at like a UCLA or any of the other power uh, powers in college basketball, but not true at USC. I don't think that those things always come so easy. So hard to – but it is weird with USC, right? Because they've got uh, – they, they do have, as Reed alluded to, they do have resources and they can get talent, um, but – we we'll see how they progress next year. They are going to probably almost certainly be the most talented team in the Pac-12. We'll find out. Okay, let's move on to <laughs> the funniest result uh, and maybe the most embarrassing for the Pac-12. Greg and I talked about this on Patreon. Uh, so if you want, I was to- not there for that. 
who did I talk to about that? I with? think it was Avery. Is that right? Talk about who did I talk about Arizona Princeton with? I talked about I was you, there. Greg. It was, was me. I was. Oh. I was absolutely was not was, there. I was there. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> All right, it was Avery. I'm Greg. Yeah, <laughs> Greg. Uh, anyway, so Arizona loses, falls to Princeton. Uh, an absolutely really funny, humiliating loss. They lose fifty nine to fifty five. Arizona, uh, they <laughs> they fell into many of the same tropes and stereotypes that we have about Arizona, about Tommy Lloyd, uh, about even Gonzaga. There's some kind of chatter about that, but. Let's start with Greg here, since we didn't get to hear from you. Did you? I'm assuming you got to watch this game. Did you have any uh, any insights? I did get to watch this game. Okay. And this game was honestly something we should have seen coming. Uh, maybe not against Princeton. That's a bit like. I think most of us assumed it would but... be in the round of 32. Uh huh. I think we were all on that train, except for Reed. Except for Reed, him, like in the final four or some shit. No, no. Reed had winning, him winning. Winning. <laughs> the whole winning. Oh my god. No, 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 let's hold I on a second. Wait, wait, wait. Reed. Let so, me yeah, flame we, Reed. Yeah, let's let's set the table here. Reed posted a like a forty-eight one... tweet thread. <laughs> what was it? How many? It was eight rules for how to fill out a bracket. Ten. He said, uh, there are ten. Steps. There are ten rules, and he said, there, no, no, no. There are four rules and ten steps. Four ah. rules and ten steps. So like. F- an absolutely absurd number. Put it's this like whole thread AA, together. A AA version of creating a bracket for March Madness. <laughs> it was absurd, uh, and he had this whole thing around. I haven't, I haven't really followed college basketball that much, and uh, but this is my favorite time of year is <laughs> filling out brackets, and I've put together, a, I've had a huge, I've consumed forty eight hours of podcasts, and so here's my advice to you: give us brackets. Not our then, podcast. Not our yeah, podcast. Where, where we talked with Bryce, who is here with us, and he confirmed our suspicions that Arizona should not be trusted in the NCAA tournament, <laughs> especially this year. And Reed decides to put together his bracket and have Arizona. Arizona as the winner of the national championship and Arizona loses to Princeton. <laughs> okay. First of all, what do you yeah. have to say for yourself, Reed? <laughs> well, so yeah, so I have a bad history with Arizona, right? I mean, I picked them <laughs> last year. I also picked them the DeAndre Aiden year where they lost to Buffalo. So I think I'm, I'm off for good now. I don't know last why. Here's what did it for my, me. I'll never pick them again. My vibes with Arizona, just like there's some, there's some miscalibration there in my head. Like I, I just have this vision and it's especially associated with their old logo, like the wildcat for some reason. What? <laughs> like I think, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is, but I just like, like one of the, you know, one of my big things about making brackets is like, you have to visualize it. Like yeah, and for vibes. some reason, whenever I like just close my eyes and, and it, I'm like, I can see, Arizona lifting the trophy, you know. It has not worked at all. But you know, I mean, you have to look back at rule two of the thread. It, don't play for points. Embrace that your bracket will suck. That you know, I knew it was what was gonna happen. You still <laughs> my thing is I'm I'm playing for like humanity's quest to the perfect bracket you know so someone (laughs) someone had to pick arizona to win i was the guy to fall on the sword (laughs) 
to help advance us forward. <laughs> what and, the and fuck are you talking about? See, that's I how picked, it went. I picked Arizona to go to the finals. I didn't think they'd go, but I was on back the pack bullshit. So just say that, Reed. Yeah, just say Reed, you're backing I, the pack. Don't pretend like you had a, a system in place. Just uh, say oh, you were backing the pack. A premonition, well, even. I just don't even know. I don't know like, who's going to make it out of this. I think it's going to be. Well, I don't know. I, I Nobody guess knows. Not back it's golf. in the future. Right, right. But <laughs> Alabama, I don't know. The thing is, it just feels like so many of the contenders have like mm-hmm. these big question marks and injuries and everything going on with Brandon Arizona Miller, has all, you the know. most question marks. Yeah, I mean, in retrospect, I don't know. I have a theory. No, that no, I wanna, no, no. I, no, I have not a theory I want to give to you guys. Not in retrospect. So, in, pro- guys, like, in prospect. I, I, <laughs> I don't we know knew. what you guys think about this. I, I kind of feel like Azulis Tabellus, like, he's not very good on defense. Listen to the fucking podcast. Oh, my <laughs> oh God. My God. Reed, we've been saying this for two fucking years. Since he entered into the Pac-12, we were like, this motherfucker does not play defense. We've been, I hope we, he scores a lot of points. <laughs> Wow, I all can't. of his points only come within the offense. All of his baskets are assisted. <laughs> Clearly, this won't be an issue come tournament time. <laughs> he said, he I, don't know, I, don't know if, I don't know. This seems podcast. like a weird take. <laughs> After I bragged for like Did 10 minutes. Did you just say minutes. this is my theory? This is a theory. It's proven. It's fact. This is going to be in textbooks, Reed. Oh, goodness, Reed. You kill me. You kill me. This is great. I feel like Kirk Carissa might not be like a good person to lead Kirk Carissa is better. <laughs> I love Carissa these takes is... that Reed is arriving to a year and a half late on. It's, great. It's really enjoyable. It's great. Good content. Uh, okay, anyway. anyway, about the game. Uh, yes. Arizona, Arizona did not. They didn't. They were They were bad for many of the same reasons. Uh, and I And I... I, I'm curious to get uh, Bryce's take on this right after we kind of uh, process what Arizona did because we talked about Arizona as not being trustworthy. Arizona got beat the same exact way that it got beat by every team that it lost to this year. They took out the bigs. They tried to stretch them out. Uh, they did everything in their power. Princeton did everything in their power. As soon as Azulis Tabellas or Umar, Umar Balo got the ball within like five feet of the basket – you had three Princeton players swarming on them, daring any of their guards to beat them, any of them. And Kirk Risa went one for seven from three. Uh, Courtney Ramey went 0 oh for three from three and also had a several bad mm-hmm. shots uh, on the interior, several bad decisions in trying to attack. Um, you had Courtney Henderson. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Cedric Henderson. Cedric Henderson. Yeah. Cedric Henderson. Uh, he went one for four from the field. Uh, Pella Larson disappeared again uh which is something he frequently does um <laughs> so I, this was a uh a, a painful this is a painfully bad game if you're an arizona fan because these were all things the blueprint was out on arizona months ago the way that utah beat them the way that uh, oregon ended up beating them the way that wazoo beat them and the way that wazoo <laughs> played them in tucson later on or sorry in pullman later on that was not that formula was not uh that that formula was out um but I'm curious to hear Bryce cuz you uh you sort of told us the same thing that they weren't particularly trustworthy we all had this weird feeling about Arizona what did you see in this game what was something that was problematic to you in Arizona's loss to Princeton uh, I think the biggest thing was Tommy Lloyd getting thoroughly outcoached in every single way 
Absolutely. Uh, major shout out to Mitch Henderson. Um, you know, I'm usually loath to give much love to Ivy League people in general, but he absolutely, I mean, <laughs> everything they did was excellent. So everyone talks about Arizona's pace, right? They're the 15th fastest team in the nation, whatever. And they got slowed down by a team that was notably awful at slowing teams down. Princeton ranked 41st in opponent time of possession in the regular season this year um, uh, and the you know the Ivy League tournament. So they were all, they're awful at slowing teams down. Teams usually can run on them as much as they want to, and Arizona couldn't. Arizona was unable to run, and um, I think I, I kind of knew this game was over when about halfway through the second quarter, um, Princeton was going under every all, ball screen by about 10 feet. And mm. Henderson Jr. and Pell Larson and Courtney Ramey would not even look at the rim. Yes. <laughs> yes. So far under, and their guards were driving like oh, it was. It was absolutely maddening, and also hilarious, and everything I could have ever wanted. I'm all for back the pack, but I, I was really rooting against Arizona in this one for whatever reason. And, um, it was, uh, and then also, I think uh, Princeton. Just uh, giving the ball to Tosana Buofwan, who had a, had a great game, was really excellent, and saying, if they're going to put Azulis Tubelis on you, we will run every single action through you and make Tubelis get out on the floor to guard dribble handoffs, make him guard you in the post. Uh, and I think we also saw, too, that as good as – I feel like Arizona's bigs get talked about as very good passing bigs a lot. They're horrible once they get post-position. You mentioned, like – Princeton bringing three to the ball in the post at all times. Their, their bigs were not very good at passing out of that. They're really good at those high-low passes where, again, they're mostly schemed. You pop Azulis Tubelis and he can throw it to Amor Bayo in the post. That's great. But if Amor Bayo catches and there's four guys around, he's not good enough to make that pass out to an open shooter. It was just a, a, a thorough deconstruction of all the, the gimmicks and... Um, lack of uh, eccentricities in Kamilouli's offense. And it was just really, really impressive from Princeton's point of view. I, I thought it was the type of game you could you know, teach in classrooms and stuff. Uh, and it also just showed a real lack of guts from, um, from Arizona's guards. It kind of reminded me of uh, like Purdue today, you know, where it's just mm-hmm. at a certain point, if these guards can't make plays, then it's, it's just never going to happen. And I think... They're really going to have to go back to the drawing board, uh, Arizona. Not not necessarily to completely redesign their offense, but especially in like their recruiting philosophy, right? Like being a guy like Cedric Henderson Jr. Like, what was the point of that if you're going to play him major minutes, but he's just going to be a nothing on offense? Because it's not like he's some you know elite defender. He's really not. He's like a fine athlete. It's just it, it was a really uh, you know Kylan Boswell is fine. But it seems like Tommy Lloyd's strength is mostly in bigs, right? Henry Vassar was a great recruiting get. Um, I just, I'm really interested to see how this Arizona offseason goes because I think a lot of this season, Arizona sort of coasted on reputation. Let's not say they were bad. They had a good season. But I I mean, the the Pac 12 was not necessarily constantly throwing a ton of hard matchups their way. They beat UCLA twice on what I would call slightly gimmicky wins. I thought UCLA was comfortably better than them. I just, I, I think. Arizona kind of coasted on reputation a lot, and it came back to bite them when it mattered most. Yeah. yeah. So, Go ahead, um, I am blown away. Well, not blown away because, again, we talked about it before. This team has all of the flaws of last year's Arizona team, all of them, except they have worse players. 
Umar Balo, not Christian Coloco. Uh, Kirk Kreese, uh, I mean, he was there last year too, but uh, there's less to make up for him when you don't have a Dale and Terry and you don't have a Benedict Matherin. It was bad last year in the tournament. They almost got got in the second round against TCU. They did get got against uh, Houston. And this year, they got got against Princeton because they just do not got, they don't have guys on the perimeter. Uh, and when your half court offense is just not good, plus you don't have guys who can make up for that in any meaningful way, like maybe you hope Kirk Kreese can do that, but if you're hoping he can do that, you've gone wildly astray. Pella Larson has <laughs> proven that either he can't do that or he just doesn't want to do that. Like you said, he was completely anonymous, and like Bryce said, uh, there were times where he had the chance to take shots from the outside. And he had no interest in doing that, just like, uh, just like Purdue today, uh, where uh, FDU, the, yeah, Fairleigh Dickinson was basically <laughs> like, we're going to put three people on Zach Eady and leave Purdue's perimeter players open for three, and they just didn't shoot because, I guess, I don't know, <laughs> they're scared. Uh, but Arizona had the same exact problem. Nobody wanted to shoot, and when they did shoot, they're just not that good. Tommy Lloyd has to do better at getting guys who can actually succeed in that position. Bryce, you mentioned Kylan Boswell as, you know, being okay. I actually think he's pretty good, and I think he's so much better than Kirk Kreese. I don't understand why Kirk Kreese gets so many more minutes because what in God's name is he bringing you? What What is he doing that Tommy Lloyd enjoys? Because from my point of view, it just seems like he is such a negative player for Arizona, and this team is not one that can afford to have negative players on the floor, especially not on the perimeter where they have nothing. So, yeah, it was extremely frustrating to watch, and uh, I'm honestly glad they're out because it means we don't have to watch it again. <laughs> Grapes, what about you? Did you get to watch this Arizona-Princeton game? Did you have thoughts about Arizona and uh, them flaming out? I feel like in our Patreon episode, I talked about it a lot, but basically my thoughts can be summarized with the Pac-12 should not be losing to teams with such badly designed athletic logos. (laughs) (laughs) I Princeton's Princeton's athletic logo is something that I designed using um, the paint. MS paint. Yeah. (laughs) When I was 12 years old. So uh, that's the most embarrassing thing out of all of this, in my uh, opinion. That's uh, that's fair. Um, <laughs> about the actual basketball games, yeah, I, I I think the complete lack of adjustments from Tommy, like it just felt like you know they crowded the bigs as teams have done all year, especially the ones that have beaten them, and zero counters. Um, I I don't uh, I I'm sort of surprised that Tommy Lloyd had nothing in his bag. I am I'm curious like and and I want to kick this to Bryce one more time on Arizona before we shift over to UCLA. Uh they they have some stuff to figure out. Obviously, I think a lot of it is a roster issue, a personnel issue, but a lot of it I think is is uh is philosophical. Um they've been sort of playing this up tempo. They've been doing this up tempo uh, relying on high low action, a, a lot of a, a very similar to the way Gonzaga has has played because that's where Tommy Lloyd has sort of come from. Do you do you expect 
anything philosophically to change for Tommy Lloyd, or do you think he should change anything philosophically? We talked a lot about how fast-paced teams typically don't do well in the tournament, and that is particularly true for a Gonzaga and particularly true for an Arizona. Do you feel like Tommy Lloyd needs to make like philosophical adjustments to what he does offensively or even defensively? I think you brought up bringing up Gonzaga is a great comparison, and you know I think a lot of people consider Gonzaga a consistent tournament disappointment. And as a WSU fan, I do relish in that a little bit because we hate Gonzaga. <laughs> but it's impossible to deny that they have had teams. That, I mean, like they've had teams that are championship caliber. They've gone on some good tournament runs, and I think the difference is that Mark Few and his staff have curveballs, and Tommy Lloyd doesn't. Mm. when like like even this year so i haven't watched a, a ton a ton of gonzaga but i've I've watched enough i've probably watched you know five six games it's easy to see that when they do get in the half court they like run you know real sets they have a couple things that they'll try and get into arizona's offense is so bare bones when it's in the half court and it's it's very just spare they don't have guys who they are trying to you know run certain things for necessarily other than that high low action well, with the way Tubelis is as a shooter, most teams are pretty comfortable just kind of sagging pretty deep off of him, sitting in the lap. I think part of what, you know, WSU, I still think, should have swept Arizona. If Kirk Reese didn't get awarded three points for punching TJ Bomba in the face, they would have. <laughs> um, but it's because WSU is was, was excellent at fronting in the post. They were... I mean, truly, like, like the work Mom K did in, as a, you know, post-front guy was incredible, and I think... You know, as, as teams kind of realized that and they could add that to their bag, like it became a really effective way of guarding them. And they didn't have a ton of counters. They don't run a ton of extra actions. You know, they'll run an occasional, you know, horns pin or something like that. But it's all really simple, really bare bones stuff. And they don't have guards who can make up for the fact that it's really simple, really bare bones. I think, you know, I, I, I talked about this a little bit in the last pod we did. But like in that second round matchup that was uh, likely to be between Utah State or Missouri, both those teams are fast-paced and they and they like to get up tempo, up tempo. But when they play in the half court, they have some really creative stuff they'll run to try and or, or they'll just set like really early drag screens and with with good spacing. But when you don't have good spacing and your guards can't run early drag screens, then you have to be more creative. And if you can't be more creative, then this is what happens: you get held to you know 50, 56 points or whatever by. Uh, not good Princeton defense, you know, not bad Princeton defense, but not a, not a particularly good Princeton defense. It's just, it was a, it, I, I think what it's going to take from Lloyd is one, a, a major step up in his recruiting. Their next, next year's recruiting class has uh, one guy in it, KJ Lewis, who I, I think Lewis is good from what I've seen, plays at Duncanville, which is an excellent school. Um, but, you know, he's not really going to fix their guard problem. So they're going to have to hit the portal hard. They're going to have to do something. I think Boswell is, Good, but he's still not that like downhill driving point guard. I think someone they secretly really missed this year was Justin Kyer, who was mm. a very solid backup point guard for them last year. Who, when things did get in the half court, could at the very least like run a pick and roll. And they just don't have anyone <laughs> to do that this year. Courtney Ramey's not that guy. Kirk Reese is not that guy. Pell Larson is really not that guy. It's mm-hmm. just it's a it's a real struggle for them in the half court when you don't have playmakers and you're not running creative stuff to supplement for the fact you don't have playmakers so i i think it's going to take a philosophical switch in and how they run their offense it's going to take a real recruiting jump 
Tommy Lloyd is sort of like I, I feel like he was crowned after last year, like the best coach in the yeah. And I feel yeah. like it's it's very quickly starting to be do we really trust this guy to build a sustainable contender? Because the guys he succeeded with last year were mostly Mick Cron or not not Mick Cronin, sorry. We're mostly um um, Sean Miller. Yes, yeah. For, uh, Xavier's head coach. I don't know why I lost his name. Like, they're mostly <laughs> these guys. You know, Coloco, Matherin, Terry. Like, all those guys were Sean Miller's guys. And and he kept them. And this year's recruiting class, Vassar was interesting. And no one else really stood out. And I don't think he did well in the portal. Even last year in the portal, you know, getting like a Kim Aiken Jr. was whatever. Kyer was a good get. But I just think it's going to take a real real push for him or, or I think we're going to start to see Arizona slide really hard and you know I think them like next year compared to like a UCLA who even though you know UCLA is going to be losing some stars like Cronin's just probably better at this right now and I I, I don't know I, it's a very interesting point for for Lloyd and I'm interested to see kind of where how we start to discuss him as the years move on yeah, uh, the Tommy Lloyd era. I think uh, there's they've. I don't know that they've soured on it to the point where. I mean, obviously, some Arizona fans are saying fire him, which is crazy. But yeah, you're right. I think he benefited from having a super talented roster waiting for him. Um, a, a scheme that generally there's probably some high some high floor there. You're gonna like just up the number of possessions because you're going to usually be more talented than everyone else. And then you're going to rely on your size and uh, rely on that high, low action. Um, I'm, I am, I am also curious to see how he progresses. And Tommy Lloyd is a first year is a second year head coach. His first two years were uh, resounding successes in terms of records, in terms of seating, not so successful in terms of tournaments. They have had four tournament games would argue they did not look good in a single one of them. Um, so maybe this is part of it's him learning what he wants to do as a head coach, what he wants to learn and pick up and what he wants to adapt. But really interesting stuff to see what happens with the, uh, the Wildcats. Any other thoughts about Arizona Princeton before we move on? Okay. Just that, uh, just that mm-hmm. uh, I, I am interested to see what type of run Princeton goes on because I, if they get like really exposed in this next game by a by a much more effective running team in Missouri, I think that'll make Arizona just look all the worse. So, oh yeah, I'm not going to pretend to have watched a lot of Mizzou or Princeton. However, from what I have seen, I am expecting Mizzou to win this one, uh, and like fairly comfortably maybe comfortably is insulting to Princeton but like I think Mizzou is a significantly better team uh they have at least one player who I think is like a borderline NBA guy and I'm blanking on his name you'd probably know it better Bryce Kobe Brown is that it for Missouri yeah uh I think he's really good I think Missouri just is a fun team to watch I enjoy them I don't think they're going to make it as easy on Princeton as Arizona did so I do think that this is not a loss that is going to age well for Arizona. Yeah, it uh it's it's probably not. Um okay, let's let's move on to the last game here. We don't have to talk too much about it because it was the the most uneventful game of I think the Pac twelve slate in the NCAA tournament to this point. UCLA beats the absolute piss out of uh U uh UNC Asheville eighty six to fifty three. Uh, UCLA got up to a 14-0 lead and never looked back. Wire-to-wire win, extremely furious uh, run from UCLA. 
I uh, I guess I'll just I'll just say real quick. Um, it was clear that the focus was just trying to uh, t- out tough and push around UNC Asheville and blitz the hell out of him, blitz the hell out of them, and take out Drew Pember. And that's exactly what they did. So it was largely non-competitive at, from start to finish, really. UNC Asheville, I guess, got settled in, but uh, only in so much that they weren't getting they weren't going to lose by fifty. Um, so this was a really impressive win in that, I don't know, it seems like every single NCAA tournament team who is a higher seed has struggled at one point or another in any of their games. Uh, UCLA looks like they are locked in. I'm really curious to see what they look like against, I mean, Northwestern, I'm not really too concerned about, uh, as someone who follows UCLA. Um, so we'll see. I'm, they did not play uh, noteworthy. They did not play a Dembo in a single second. Mick Cronin said he could have, uh, but felt like he didn't need to, and he was right. He may not need to tomorrow either. So a Dembo will have, I don't know, two weeks uh, since his shoulder injury to recover from uh, recover from it. So And, you know, there's some tape going around and some uh, of him practicing and it's clear he's favoring that shoulder, but he is he is bringing it up to take shots. Um, he's not always using it, but we'll see. We'll see what that looks like. Uh, any thoughts about UCLA and UNC Asheville? This complete blowout. Um, yeah, I feel vindicated in my complete, just blind take that Princeton was the best two seed. I mean, 15 seed. Uh, <laughs> I was correct, clearly, because UNC Asheville, my God, got hammered. And I get that they're playing a much, they're playing a better team in UCLA than what Arizona got. And it's just a bad matchup for them, I think. Um, I don't know, a bad matchup, because I think they had an opportunity with Noah Dambona. But my God, they made Kenny Nuba look like Prime Shaq. <laughs> <laughs> they really did. It's <laughs> like every time he got the ball, it was. It was like the the UNC Asheville guys were running away from him. They were scared. (laughs) (laughs) It was crazy. He just had an easy dunk. Uh, That was really funny to see, and it had me. That game has me actually feeling really good about UCLA because last year, I don't feel like they looked this locked in in game one of the tournament. I believe it was St. Mary's. That was a slog. It was an ugly game. Akron this year, huh? Akron. Akron. Did they play St. Mary's last year? They did, and they beat the shit out of St. Mary's. Ah, I got the game mixed up. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, they just, from the from the tip-off, they bullied UNC Asheville like a high seed should, and I really appreciated it from them. At no point did it feel like they were in any danger, and I'm, I'm really excited for the uh, Gonzaga matchup. Yeah, if, if it happens, I don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe a I'm feeling confident it'll happen. <laughs> uh, yeah, the the one kind of funny quote. This is at the end of the at the end of the game. Mick Cronin, Mick Cronin is so weirdly transparent in some very hilarious ways. Sometimes, uh, you know, I sort of asked him what what was going on at the beginning there, and he says, "When you play a mid major, you've got to." We were trying to physically dominate them. He said, "When you play a mid major, mid major, you have to high major them." <laughs> Which is crazy, <laughs> kind of disrespectful. If I'm being honest, yeah. um, like for a coach to just say the words, "Yeah, they're a mid-major, and we can like physically dominate them." So that's what we tried to do. Um, and sort of, sort of, someone asked him, "Like, did you watch Arizona? Did you use that as motivation?" He's like, "No, well, you know, the thing with Arizona happened is 
you, you didn't out they didn't out physical them basically um they didn't you impose their their physicality on them and in some ways that's true and that's always been kind of true with arizona is they've never they, they've had they've waxed and waned in terms of their physicality so anyway we don't have to spend too much time on that game i do uh read any thoughts about ucla i guess forget that well, you well maybe watch no, i mean i my, my thoughts mostly is like, oh, uh, I definitely should have picked them. That's my two seed from the Pac-12 to win. <laughs> um, but like for you, Carlos, like I'm just I'm just thinking about like if I was in your shoes, you know, you're a UCLA fan. Like, how are you feeling right now? Like UCLA has a legitimate shot at a national title this year. I don't know. Yeah, uh, it, yeah. You can never hope. You can never have too much hope for those things because we know that the NCAA tournament is a capital c crap capital s shoot um (laughs) but but uh they are i think the most encouraging thing is that this weekend might be pretty light for them Uh, dembona is going to get a lot of time to get healthy i'm not particularly concerned about northwestern they did not look good against boise state i don't know i mean uh obviously that was one game i'm not out here scouting northwestern all the time but i am I, I think it will, that will bode well. They'll have to probably, they'll go through Gonzaga, maybe. Maybe it'll be TCU. It'll be one of those two teams, obviously. And if they, I don't know. I mean, I, I sort of think they match up well with either of those teams in the little bit that I've seen. Um, I sort of think that neither of them are super scary. I mean, I think the real scary teams, if I had to pick one, is like, I guess Kansas and what I've seen. Not really watching a lot of Kansas, but. Um, they are probably the one team that I worry about, but I, I don't know. UConn by fifty. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, so that's how I'm feeling about him. I uh, we'll see. Every time I UCLA gets to this point, I'm sort of like, all right, let's see what happens. Um, I want to turn it over. Wait, wait, to... wait. One thing. Okay. I just want to know if Bryce has UCLA thoughts. Yeah, that's yeah, that's where I was going. I was oh, curious okay. to see. I was curious <laughs> to see what Bryce thought about UCLA. And I also want to, I also want to bring it up, Bryce. What you think about Mick Cronin? You are a uh, Mick Cronin <laughs> hater, <laughs> and so I want to hear what your th- what your thoughts are for like in watching UCLA that first game and sort of how their bracket has shake out, shaken out. How you think they might fare now? If you might reassess what they're doing, and you know, have a conversation about Mick Cronin because I think we have differing ideas about Mick Cronin. <laughs> I should note that most of my Mick Cronin hate, and this has caught on. I was a draft guy before I was ever a write about college basketball guy. That's kind of come in the last year and a half. Most of my Mick Cronin hate comes from the fact that he is a he is a bad coach for putting like prospects in good spots. Even like someone like Jaime Hawkes, who is great. If he, I don't know if he's even really a real prospect. If I'm being honest, but. If he was, like, he's not really playing in the role he would in the NBA. In the NBA, he'd be like a connector. He'd be playing more like this, um, you know, quick passing, quick decision-making role. That's not what UCLA does at all. He's more of like an ISO player for them. Peyton Watson, I thought, was grossly mishandled by him. He runs these very old-school sets. Um, Well, on offense, he doesn't really run sets at all. He kind of just puts the ball in his playmaker's hands. But, like, you know, there's not a ton of spacing. He plays very kind of tight, you know, that smash-mouth ball. It was never really about me thinking he was like gonna fail at UCLA. I did think there was maybe a bit of overhyping about that one tournament run um, mm. where they were an 11 seed and got to the Final Four. Uh, but I, I think this team, this year's team, is very good. I think they did get a great draw. I thought they, I mean, they looked exactly how you wanted them to, right? Like 
they handled UNC Asheville like they were a mid-major team um, and like they didn't matter at all. I think that's the the most impressive part about this year's UCLA team is they kind of just don't suffer fools for the most part. You know, aside mm. from WSU almost clipping them in Pullman, they're, they're really like teams they're better than, they mostly just beat and handled pretty comfortably. The uh, Wazoo is a competent team, I will say. I don't know that. Get, lose, lose, winning close over Wazoo, I think. I think I would pa- give most teams a pass just because of how that team is played. No, de- definitely. I'm, I'm, and you know, like that's a conversation for another day. But mostly, what I'm saying is like <laughs> they just don't really. I think Northwestern is an interesting matchup. Northwestern runs these really loopy, off-ball DHO actions where like Boo Boo is running like these super long paths around like double pin downs or floppy actions and getting these. Um, getting these handoffs. And what it's meant to do is it's meant to take advantage of a hard hedge because if a team is going to help way off, it'll leave the corner open. Uh, if a team isn't, it'll kind of leave those lobs over the top and, and dump offs and pocket passes open for dunks. Um, UCLA is going to help off. The issue is that Northwestern is an awful shooting team despite <laughs> hunting those shots. Like <laughs> they take a ton of corner threes and they just miss them. It's, no, it's a it's a good sound offensive <laughs> strategy. They just can't actually make those shots. Um, and then Northwestern also just has like no one who can handle Jaime Hawkes. Like good luck if, if unless Jaime Hawkes is just having an all time bad touch day. Like he should be fine. They 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 should be fine against Northwestern. I think it'll be kind of ugly. Both teams play pretty slow. Both teams are very defense first. But I would imagine. Like UCLA wins fairly comfortably, like seven to twelve to fifteen, something like that. Like they should get ahead and stay ahead, um, unless Northwestern is just shooting outlier good from outside, which is possible. But um, I, I think they won't force Mick Cronin to adjust, which is good because one of my other issues with Mick Cronin is that I think he is generally bad at in-game adjustments, like most college coaches are. That tends to be a thing for a lot of college coaches. Um, I think it's fairly rare that you get someone who is. Uh, consistently making high-level in-game adjustments, um, especially in the Pac-12. It seems like the women's game is great at that. You know, Cammy Etheridge, all-time in-game adjustment coach. But you know, I, I think I, I I I am a Mick Cronin hater to some extent. But it's it's less about like what he does at the college level because I think he's built a good team. I think he has a good sense for how guys fit together. Uh, though I I do find the way his teams play kind of boring. And frustrating in some ways, but it's also mostly about how he handles prospects. And uh, next year, that'll only get even weirder with guys like Sebastian Mack, who just really does not feel like a culture fit at all. Devin Williams, who's like this funky 6'10 forward, who I'm guessing is going to be shoved into a non-ball handling center role. So I don't know. It's kind of it's that's that's where my Mick Cronin issues come up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I think that's fair. He is. He, you're right. He doesn't handle the the. I don't know. He doesn't always set guys up for like NBA success. But I would argue that I'm not sure many of these guys. Some of the, most some of his core guys were never NBA guys to begin with. Like Jaime Hawkes. I don't know. I even hey, his freshman year. I've uh, seen him in the first round of some big boards. I mean, that's uh, that's surprising that's to me. I don't know. I don't. I don't find him. <laughs> it's probably true. <laughs> It's probably true because, like, it's if you the have, back end, but yeah, you have success at the college level and you're like 6'6, six, six, you'll get a look. But, like, he's anytime someone takes like four moves over like a Brady Manic to score a bucket, I'm automatically like, that's rough. That's gonna, <laughs> that's gonna <laughs> it's true. No, it's yeah. absolutely true. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, 
you know, I, I don't know. He's a really great college player, though. I I, I will say that. Yes. And, you know, I just, uh, I, I, I tend to think that Mick Cronin, I think, th- here's what Mick Cronin is good at. I'm not, maybe in-game adjustments. I think he, I think UCLA adjusts pretty well and well enough in-game. Maybe it's not one of his strengths. I think the thing that's been his strength and something that has, that really gets highlighted in the NCAA tournament is UCLA scouts damn near better than any other team that I've watched. Uh, it, it seems like they have such a deep understanding of what the other team will want to and try to do that. And, and they have cleverly figured out ways to deal with some of those things in ways that I just, I don't know that I've ever seen another college basketball team do right. It's like that final four run obviously required some, some heat from Johnny Juzang, which he very frustratingly tried to build in February. I remember watching that 2021 <laughs> UCLA team, Johnny Juzang getting 25 shots and making eight of them every single game and wondering why Johnny Juzang is in the game and taking as many shots and being pissed off and getting ready to say Mike McCronin's a bum. And it all ended up working out in March, which was a huge gamble because they nearly did not get in. But, uh, you know, they were really shorthanded in that NCAA tournament run. Super shorthanded. They were missing Chris Smith, who figured to be their leading scorer. They missed Jalen Hill, who was by far their best big. Um, and, you know, he didn't. He wasn't their starting big, but I think most people thought he was their best big in Jalen Hill. Um, and managed to, to scout his opponents well enough to put UCLA in a position to... to get to the final four and lose the way that they did i think we saw it a bit in the sweet 16 i would argue caleb love did go off and that was like a whole other sort of thing but uh you know i think one of his big faults is that he sometimes is too loyal and cody riley was out there way 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 uh way too long and uh is not really good on the perimeter and so caleb love got to cook him several several times but, you know, even in this game, it was like, yeah, he knew Drew Pember, what he was going to try to do. They uh, did some really great stuff on trying to front him. Had Amari Bailey out there fronting him. That took Drew Pember out of the game. Uh, Drew Pember himself, at, at the end of the game, kind of a refreshingly honest take was sort of like, which I just was not ready for that level of physicality. I wasn't ready for what they were doing. I was shell-shocked. Um and that's a hell of a thing to say, if, you know, if you're a college basketball player that comes from a place like Tennessee and is the best basketball player on your team and in your conference. So uh, kind of kind of crazy. Uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm really curious to see what UCLA does. This is going to be a really good test because at this point, uh, last year sort of gives, gives given some of a pass for the Caleb Love, Love stuff. Uh, I don't know that there's going to be a, a player that's just going to get hot. They're not going to run into a blue blood that was kind of mediocre most of the year, slipped into the tournament. Uh, they're probably they're going to have to go through uh, Gonzaga, who's been pretty consistently good. So you're just I do. The, the real question will be. So, so you mentioned Caleb Love getting hot. I think he definitely got hot. I will say I think like UCLA does kind of struggle to guard really truly elite three point shooters if they're. If if um, opponents can run like good sets to get them shots, um, so it's true. That gets me worried about uh, for Gonzaga, Julian Strother a little bit. I, I don't think Gonzaga is much of an issue because their defense is so paper thin. Like it's so unless Julian Strother is like all time hot, like Tiger Campbell and Johnny Juzang or not Johnny Juzang, excuse me, Jaime Hawkins should get whatever they want. Like their defense is so paper thin. What my worry is is if they're in. Uh, you know, if they're facing Kansas in the Elite Eight, 
or UConn. It's Jordan Hawkins or uh, Grady Dick. Those two are two of the most electric shooters in the country, and they are like the focal point of their each team's individual offense with like off ball sets to get them shots. And I think that is something that Cronin's team struggled to guard because he is so stubborn when it comes to being like, you know, you mentioned the physicality against Pember. That's great. That there's something to be said for that. But it's also he's so stubborn about you know, it's almost pack line esque. Like it's almost, you know, that type of Tony Bennett stubbornness too. Yeah. We're gonna keep him in. No no twos, no easy drives. Well at a certain point if a team's not hunting that and they're getting the shots they want, it's it's uh that's where my worry comes in with UCLA. But that's not to put it past him. I, I, I think, you know, part of the issue with talking about college coaches sometimes is, especially at the highest level, for a team like UCLA, is sometimes it's the, the grade can just be an incomplete. You know, I think this year will, will be a big reason for seeing exactly what type of coach uh, Mick Cronin is when adjustments need to be made. I think next year will be huge when um, you're replacing, you know, Hawkes and, and Campbell and having to in- implement guys like Mac, who if you thought Johnny Juzang going eight for 25 was frustrating, wait until you're watching Sebastian Mac uh, dribble with his head, looking straight at the floor and pulling up uh, from, you know, 28 feet. Uh, that'll be, that'll be fun for you. Um, he's, he's, very good. he's very frustrating. I've had multiple talks with people about Mac specifically as like a, it's crazy to me that this guy isn't, you know, like a five star, but then also sometimes you watch him and you're like, Oh, that's why he's not a five star. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And to your point about the three, this has been a philosophical decision for uh, Mick Cronin for as long as he's been at UCLA, which is UCLA is happy to they they're almost happy to give up a ton of threes, um, not not make them. It's sort of a situation where we're going to prioritize not getting anything easy inside, sell out, and let the three point shooters uh, dare them to make those shots. Now, I do think there was a couple of times where he was willing to adjust and make some you know BYU in 2021 was a great example that was a I think their their major thing was that they were a really good three-point shooting team and they did some stuff to try to take them out now he was never chasing them off the line and saying yeah we'll dare you to be inside beat you inside funnel everyone to Cody Riley because who would do that but um, I think there were some adjustments we'll see though I think that is a good point I do think that you know for years Mick Cronin has basically said yeah we go ahead try to try to uh, drill some open threes. Take take as many as you'd like, and we'll dare you to beat them. Sometimes uh, it's not always a, a a super hot strategy. So, okay, yeah, I think One that makes second, sense. Carlos. Yes, I do want to clarify something. You, uh, the team that you that UCLA just played is uh, the University of North Carolina Asheville. Uh, they're not UNC Nashville, so did, they're from North I Carolina, say, not Tennessee. Did I say UNC Nashville? Well, you said they're from Tennessee. Did I? Yeah, you, you definitely did. No, no, Drew Pember is from Tennessee. Oh, well, you said Nashville earlier, too, so I did assumed I? Oh, okay. that this was like <laughs> you thinking they're from Nashville. So, <laughs> anyway, move on. What were you saying? Uh, I Just that. Just that. Uh, thank you for the correction, Greg. I don't remember saying that, but okay. I believe you. Pay, you pay attention to my words more than I do. Uh, so now UCLA. They're the only team in the NCAA tournament left. They are the Pac-12's last hope for a Sweet 16, an Elite Eight, a Final Four. That's it. Uh, it's really just UCLA, which is crazy. Every single Pac-12 team that was not UCLA is eliminated in the round of 64. Wild stuff to say. So we'll see how that goes. Um, 
Okay. Is that it? Is that it? any? I guess I'll ask you, I'll leave you this last question, Bryce, is UCLA with the course that they have in front of them, where do you predict they fall? I think their their path to the Elite Eight is pretty comfortable. Um, I think, unless Gonzaga, like I said, is just like absolutely electric from deep, uh, I think Gonzaga is pretty beatable, especially if you have Bona back, because um, I've come around a lot on Bona. I think Bona has improved a lot. I still think there's some holes there, but um, I, I think... It's hard to deny, like, just he's he's just such a motherfucker, like how hard he plays. And I, I think he could give Timmy some issues. Um, so I, I think that should be a, a solid matchup for them. I also think there's a good chance it's TCU and not, um, mm. and, and not UCLA, in which case, like, if you're daring TCU to beat you, that's a pretty sound strategy. <laughs> That'll probably work out. <laughs> um, so it's kind of that Elite Eight. And I think, you know, UConn, and Kansas, I think both prove really troublesome, and I, I, I think UConn's a bit more of a toss-up, and Kansas, I'd probably lean slightly Kansas, but I, I think both those teams are beatable. And again, like, I don't know if either of them can really like comfortably slow down Jaime Hawkes. It, I think there is a solid argument to be made that Jaime Hawkes is just the best player in college basketball right now. Um, I, mm. you know, Edie got proven to be fraudulent. Uh, as we've always known, because he played in the Big Ten. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, you know, I think Alabama, Brandon, people point to Brandon Miller. Brandon Miller doesn't self-create mm. that many shots. He's mostly a kind of off-ball shooter who's a beneficiary of one of the best offensive systems in college basketball. Um, you know, I think Kansas, Jalen Wilson, maybe. Jalen Wilson and Jaime Hawkins are very similar. So that could be like a battle of the two. But I think there's a chance if Hawkins is just the guy, I, I think – they could they could win it all. Like this is a team that could absolutely win the national championship. Um, but I, I think that Elite Eight game will really say a lot. And then Houston is Houston's Houston would be hard. Houston in the Final Four is um, I think Houston is the juggernaut in college basketball right now. I, I mm. think their defense is just a complete saw. I think you know people point to that NKU game being close and think oh you know is Houston beatable? NKU just plays ugly. It was just a kind of an ugly game. Um, so I, I would say UCLA, if, if they make the final four, you're pretty happy with that. That's a good season. If they beat Houston, then I think they'll win the national championship because I think whoever comes out of those, that kind of bracket there, Houston or Kansas or UCLA or UConn, whoever it is, I think that's the like comfortable national championship favorite. Cause the other side is a lot weaker, especially, I mean, obviously Purdue was a shitty number one, but you know, <laughs> if it's Kansas state, that's kind of whatever Alabama has their warts. You know, I like Creighton a lot, but those are like the weaker teams. Houston, UCLA, Kansas, and UConn feel like the true top contenders right now. And mm. so if UCLA makes it out of that gauntlet, you know, they could be uh, hanging another banner. So, Yeah, we'll see. That would be quite, that would be quite a story for UCLA and for the Pac-12. Okay, Reed, last, you get last word before we get off here any uh any things you're excited for going forward in the ncaa tournament now that you don't have your bracket to care about all right so time to talk about the nit uh oregon ucf what are you saying? <laughs> hey oregon uh pulled it out in the in their nit game congratulations to them uh they did not get whipped by uc irvine um so Again. they exercised those demons that's very nice uh, and they'll play UCF. You're right. Oregon is favored by five points, so that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, Colorado made it to the NIT. Bryce, I'm so sorry. We know that Wazoo lost to Eastern Washington. It's kind of a disappointing end to their season. Um, 
Yeah. I any any predictions read on UCI <laughs> U, uh, Oregon UCF? No, no. Uh no. I, I mean, no. I'm done making okay. predictions. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, then that's it. Let's end it here. We're going long anyway. That there's Greg. That is Reed. Thank you so much to our special guest, Bryce Hendricks. Uh, you can find him at Bryce Hendrick 14 on Twitter. Go check his stuff out. He is a big time ball knower. We always love talking ball with him and learning about the uh, other truck stops in this country. So thank you very much for listening. Remember to check out our Patreon. But for now, there are no truck stops here. Uh, not even Tucson. <laughs> Still and thick with smoke So thick it makes you choke The crowd vibes in The coffee's kicking And my patience are wearing thin Said I'm lonelier Than a single sax On a quiet city street Things are an old